Purple Elephant Shower Thought. Beds are basically human charging pads. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. All right, so today's guest, we have moved into season three, and this season's going to be all about working creatives, entrepreneurs, people on the ground making stuff happen. Um, And my first guest for this season is um, a a St. Louis native graduate of Mizzou, which is perfect. Um, In 2008, he co-founded Hotbox Cookies, uh, which is a cookie delivery store in Missouri that has five locations. He also started uh, Ms. Menus, which is an online ordering and delivery service for restaurants in Missouri. In 2018, this guy was working as the director of operations for a multi-state cannabis operator in Missouri and helped open dispensaries in California and Maryland. And now he's working on a new dispensary brand called Feel State to franchise and assist stores around the country. And I'm here with no one other than Corey Rimmel. Corey, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on as the first guest. I appreciate it, Sean. Um, it's been awesome watching you grow your brand this last couple of years and excited to see how I can help and, and learn from you as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think this conversation is going to go a lot of different directions. Um, and we will definitely be talking about cannabis because that's really what you're invested in right now. But to start, I kind of want to take it back to when you were my age and in college and creating your first business, which I believe Hotbox, was that the first one that you started? Yes. Can you kind of walk me through the the mindset of when you were building and making Hotbox a reality? Well, first of all, maybe explain like why has being an entrepreneur always been in your blood? And also explain kind of the, the process to actually bring that idea to fruition. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting. And I finally feel comfortable to where I want to ask for your support. So in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck five bucks or 10 bucks a month. Now this money is going to help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. You know, I didn't have any other true businesses. I always had different ways. When I was younger, I always had different, um, you know, ways to make make money, but that was never the driving factor. Um, I've always kind of been built good at building teams around me. And, you know, when I went to the University of Missouri, um, I just really wanted to start a business. I, I, I don't know where I got the idea from, but it, it, it kind of definitely felt like it was always in my blood, even if it wasn't. Um, so I had this crazy idea 
of a cookie delivery store that um, I saw similar concepts in other college campuses and thought Columbia could use it. And um, at 20 years old, went up to a couple of my best friends and asked them if they wanted to join and they said yes. And we really had no idea what we were doing the first uh, few couple of years. And it really took me many years after that to truly figure it out. But um, we just worked incredibly hard and were able to build a brand um, that resonated with the Columbia population and is still standing today. So that that's something I'm, I'm pretty happy about. And um, yeah, hope, hopefully it provides inspiration to other right. you know, college at Mizzou. And yeah, you hit on that, that keyword brand because you – you just said you kind of were inspired by seeing similar concepts at um, at other college campuses, and so it seemed it seems like brand was the thing that kind of made Hotbox stand out. And obviously, what you're doing now with Feel State, which we'll get into, is all about brand. So, as we're staying on entrepreneurship, how important and how much, I guess, emphasis have you put on brand as you're building businesses? It's 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 pretty much the most important aspect of of the business nowadays. Um, you know, there's two ways to get sales. At, um, you know, revenue. It's either through sales or um, sales tactics, or you know, building brand. And one of the things that I realized at Hotbox many years after um, you know I started the company was that the reason people were buying cookies was not always because of the taste and the quality. You know, that was more expected. You know, if you start a company nowadays, it's expected that you've got offer a great product or service. Otherwise, you're not even going to get the opportunity. What really makes you a long-lasting company um, is 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 your brand. Is what people talk about, you know, yourself when behind your back and um, and how they feel when 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 they interact with your with your organization. And so, you know, Hotbox had this you know cool brand because of the name. You know. A lot of the customers were, you know, college kids late night, you know, smoking cannabis. And, and that that allure of, you know, got to get Hotbox, warm cookies, can't do it anywhere else, was what built this brand and this story around um, the company. And I used to believe it was the quality of the cookies, but it took me a while to figure out that that was just one small component, the quality of theirs. You know, the customer service, the whole experience, you know, um, the consistency um, of, of every visit. And so um, a lot of cookies taste very, very similar and are good. And the difference for Hotbox's, Hotbox uh, success, I, I believe, was was that brand. And a lot of it was done on, you know, social media, which I'm, I'm assuming we'll probably get into later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but just to stay on Hotbox before we transition, because nowadays, um, I think it's insomnia cookies. That's kind of a, another big name. And I know Hotbox is just kind of in Missouri, but Hotbox came before insomnia, correct? Actually it did not. Oh, That's really? Insane. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, insomnia was started in the university of Pennsylvania and it was another cookie delivery store that I, that I saw, um, in college campuses and they actually ended up selling their um, either majority of their shares to Krispy Kreme for well 
well over a hundred million, or at least valuation of, of, of that high amount. And they grew to 150, 200, lo- I don't know how many locations they've got now. It, it's a lot. Well, just as a, a hypothetical, because obviously you're not doing anything with Hotbox anymore. If it was you're back in Hotbox, you're controlling kind of the, the creative, the marketing, the branding, and you're up against Insomnia, how would you steer the, the branding now that Insomnia is such a massive force? Yeah. So back when I was, you know, really the one, you know, doing a lot with Hotbox when I was in Columbia, we did a lot on social media, but it wasn't as difficult as it is right now. There's a lot of content on social media that you've got to get through and to get the, get the consumer's attention. And so what I would do for, for Hotbox, for any restaurant, for the company I'm, I'm working on right now is, is yes, is create as much content, you know, as you possibly can on as many platforms as, as you can be on. And that's, you know, podcasts, blog posts, videos, um, you know, a lot, and if you can do that and you can kind of make the employees that all work at, you know, your retail store, um, at the kind of the, 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 the star of the show, I was, I was just told and, and really, you know, make them have a presence online if, if they choose to be, I, I think that builds an authentic brand and, um, the more content that adds value, that's not just a sales pitch, um, you know, really gets people to want to buy your product over another for the same quality and, and they'll pay more for you because you have that brand and you've, and you've, you've shown that you're more than just, you know, making money. Right. And I just did a, the last episode I released for this podcast was a, a solo episode all about, um, branding. And so I think it's so relevant that we're talking about it. So I was reading a ton of different books, um, just trying to study up on the topic and, be able to convert something that I could share on this podcast. But I was really um, interested in, um, I don't know if you've heard of Seth Godin. Yeah. Um, I, I had read his book for the first time, Permission Marketing, where the idea of kind of interruption ads, you know, those kind of scrolling ads that you might find on Instagram, 30 second ads before a YouTube video, the goal of that should not be to sell something right off the bat. It should be to get permission whether that's um, trying to get someone on an email list that you can inform them more about and keep selling to them. But just the idea that permission marketing is what the internet was made for, what social media was made for. So to transition kind of to what you're doing now, well, we can touch on permission marketing in a second, but I do want to transition to feel state and what it's about. And then we can kind of dive into the branding of that and how you're managing that. So, Feel state is a concept we, myself and a couple of business partners um, came up with a couple of years ago where we built a brand for a dispensary um, and the goal is to license it um, like a franchise and really help the dispensary operator with everything related to creating systems, procedures, hiring, operations, compliance, and most importantly, um, you know, marketing and branding. And um, so we have 
you know, been working on it for a couple of years, and now we are about to open up dispensaries in Kansas City and St. Louis, Missouri, uh, with two separate groups that will be operating a cultivation extraction dispensary, and then they will own the dispensary, but they will be utilizing our brand on the front door of each of their dispensaries. Yeah, and I think I, I was saying to you before that I listened to a kind of more in-depth podcast you did with um, on periodic effects. And I, I think most people who listen to this may not fully understand the cannabis, um, the world, the, the regulations involved, and it's all about applying for license is whether or not you have a brand, whether or not um, you kind of know what you're doing on the, the retail side. So could you give kind of a very brief pitch if you could sum it up what is the the world of cannabis as it stands now? Sure. It's very complex. And every state has different rules and regulations on how business owners are required to operate. Um, so, for example, in Missouri, they awarded 60 cultivation licenses, 80-something um, extraction and manufacturing licenses to make edibles and oils and nearly 200 dispensary licenses. Some states like Oklahoma will allow for unlimited number of dispensaries to operate as long as you can, you know, pay the the initial small license fee. Other states like Florida make it, which are way bigger than Missouri, have far fewer licenses to operate. So, the first step is acquiring these licenses, and that is super challenging. You have to win an application. You've got to, you know, have a political connect, political connection, um, or a, purchase the license. And so, once you have these licenses, then you have to operate the three vertical. The full vertical consists of a cultivation facility um, that would grow the cannabis plant, and then the extraction facility to make edibles, oils and then the dispensary, the retail outlet. And a lot of groups own and operate all three of those, um, and they do it in each state. So the biggest companies in cannabis are located in you know, 10 states and have you know, 10 different cultivation facilities operating. Um, we operated a dispensary in Maryland, and it was a single location, and we were competing against these big vertical companies. And it was very difficult because we did not have a product source to supply our stores since we are unable to go purchase from Oregon or California. You have to buy and sell within the state lines. So that's kind of what, you know, came up with this business model is that, you know, we want, we kind of see over the next five, 10 years that um, eventually there will be, you know, brands that develop that are, that are strong and, and, um, and can just, specialize and focus on only the dispensary or only, you know, an edible brand or only a topical brand. And, um, you know, so right now there's a lot of money going into the industry, buying up smaller companies, bigger companies getting, you know, larger. And um, we are in the Missouri market, which is medical only. So we can only sell to a very small percentage of the state. And eventually it transitions to recreational. Um, eventually a lot of the laws and regulations that make it challenging to operate in this business from a tax component to banking uh, become easier to operate in. But right now it's, it's the early stages of the cannabis industry. And 
you know, we've got a long way to go and, and hopefully we're not too early and we're able to survive until it becomes easier for businesses. And at that point, I, I think we'll be able to kind of scale this dispensary brand if, if, if we're able to execute on the plan we've put together. Right. And, uh, I, I, I remember hearing in that, that podcast I mentioned before that kind of one of the issues is when you're reaching out to all these people, you haven't had a store that is your brand, that is field state to kind of use as a case study. Um, so the, the, your current, um, dispensaries that you're releasing, um, very soon, it's kind of relying on, well, just, I mean, expertise in other areas, but you don't necessarily have this, okay, here's field state, here's the field state dispensary brand, and here's what it's like. How have you navigated that? Because I think it's very comparable to really any kind of person, a young person with a skill, say like coming out of college, oh, they're asking for three to five years of experience doing this, but I just got out of school. So how do you deal with that it, using cannabis um, and your industry? And I feel like people who are in this state of um, being very young, very new can take from what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's been incredibly challenging. I, I'm still to this day shocked that two different groups agreed to work with us without seeing an existing operating dispensary to look at. Um, you know, I, I think the mindset that, that myself and my business partners took where we just, it was a numbers game. We were just going to meet and talk and build relationships with so many people that we could talk to and meet at events and interact with on LinkedIn, you know, in Missouri, other States join every organization we could, you know, connect with. And doing that, we had a lot of people say no to us um, for this concept or not respond. And, you know, it was just a small percentage of the people that said yes. It's, it, so it just took a lot of hard work. And that's, um, you know, well, we just didn't give up. And I guess that was, uh, you know, a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work combined that. And, you know, ho- 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 hopefully it, you just have to be in the right position at the right time. And so, right. Um, yeah. And I think, I think you'll probably see a, a compounding effect of once you have two stores and can prove yourself then, okay, now you can expand this and then you have 10 stores and then you can expand it. And obviously we're talking over the course of many, many years, not months, but having those two off the bat makes the next, it's going from zero to one. Um, and I think you having those two, uh, dispensaries is probably the hardest. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. In the, the cannabis industry, obviously you said there aren't any major brands, maybe a few kind of in the already established states that have legalized uh, cannabis for a while. How did you go about finding your niche in the cannabis business? And how would you define it for field state? Yeah, I mean, we just kind of looked around at our team, we first kind of built a team um, that all of people that liked working with each other and our skill set was in marketing and retail. So, you know, we didn't have any expertise in cultivation or extraction, so we couldn't go in those areas. Um, we didn't have any other ideas for ancillary businesses in the cannabis industry. So retail is what we had the most experience and knowledge on. And that's what we decided we we're going to do at first. 
And the idea has evolved over, over time, but um, the concept has always been um, to create a franchise dispensary brand. And I, I would say a, the niche is that most dispensaries around the country are corporate owned. And in some cases, you know, the money will flow back to a larger city on the you know, east or west coast. So our brand really wants to be built around supporting the local community. And I, the reason why I like the franchise model and other industries so much is because it allows a local entrepreneur that may not have the marketing expertise um, yet to run his or her own, own business in their local community and own the business, you know, outright and be able to, you know, spend the money how he or she chooses, but then get the assistance from a, you know, larger company to provide those systems um, to run efficiently and consistently every time. And then the marketing um, power to attract customers to come to your store. So that's kind of been our, been our niche is, 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 um, is offering, is focusing on the B2B model um, versus just, you know, opening as many dispensaries as we possibly can. Right. Right. And I think, but the kind of customer facing side, when people walk into a, a fuel state dispensary, what def differentiates it from any other yeah. store? So a lot of the dispensaries that I have visited around the country and especially in the recreational states, they are, you know, trying to make a lot of money and they they do shuffle you in and out as quickly as possible. And, you know, there's, but there's been a few that I've seen that really have a good retail staff. Um, they're called bud tenders to work behind the counter and ask you questions and figure out what consumption method would work best for you and what size of dosage. Um, and so that's where we really want to differentiate ourselves is offering that extra level of patient consultation, either inside the dispensary or virtually or, you know, in a private setting in our patient consultation room. Um, and then in addition to that, offer education for anyone online through all the content, um, you know, we're going to be creating and have created for the past um, couple of years. And um, there's not too many cannabis brands that are really, really making a, um, a big effort on the education that also operate multiple dispensaries. And so that's what we're trying to create because we, we just don't see that out there yet. Um, yeah. So do you think that you kind of see maybe individual, I mean, you mentioned you came across a couple dispensaries where it was just the one dispensary that is making an effort in kind of the areas that you're focusing on, but you haven't seen it on a wide scale brand yet. Right. And, and, and so you see these one-off dispensaries that have a single location um, there's one in particular called, called Pharma in Portland, Oregon, that um, kind of inspired us to, to have this model. Um, and we met some people that, that worked there. But, you know, I, I could name a few more around the country. But the, the, the issue that the multi-unit operators are having is, you know, building a culture and creating the systems like a large chain such as McDonald's would have to scale that same experience at every location and I have yet to see that dispensary that I visited to and I try to go to as many 
you know, multi-unit chains as I can, because that's the hardest part. It, 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 you know, you could be at a dispensary every single day as an owner and, and really offer a great customer experience. And, and I kind of did that at, at Hotbox, but the, the, the hardest part is to get that same experience at another location in another city when you're not there. And um, that's always going to be the challenge for a, for a multi-unit uh, retail operator. Yeah, and I think just the idea of creating systems rather than just being there and doing the work yourself, I mean, that's how you can scale something. But I think it's it's scary, and I, I'm speaking for, for myself. You know, one thing that I wanted to do with Purple Elephant was have guest writers come on. And so I wouldn't have to be writing every day. And my mindset has changed a little bit about that. Now I, I enjoy the writing and it's less about trying to say something and just saying what I want to say. But that has always been a, a thought in my head where it, whether it's um, with the YouTube channel, having guest filmmakers come and host their stuff, but it would have to follow some kind of purple elephant guideline. What would a purple elephant film look like? And I never went through with that. And it could be something that I, I look into more in the future, but just the idea of creating systems. Have you done it before effectively or as you're doing it now, what have you found is the best way to go about it? So, you know, everyone that's a dispensary learns differently. Um, so you've got to build, you know, all the different systems for every aspect. And most what I've, I, I, of, of the operation, I've looked at operations manuals ranging from, you know, Starbucks to Chipotle to some of those other, you know, really big multi-unit restaurant chains. And that's kind of where I learned most of systems. I also had a, um, was part of a ownership of a red mango frozen yogurt franchise um, for a couple of years and got to really learn how they interacted with all their franchisees. And um, basically it's, it's creating, you know, all the manuals, step-by-step -step procedures on how to do every task of the company. And the systems can't be so rigid that they 100% have to be followed. They have to leave, you know, room for, um, you know, interpretation and, and to be able to adapt in certain situations. But, you know, it's, it's closing checklists, it's opening checklists, it's, um, you know, onboarding procedures, it's a, a, a two-week training program for the new employees, it's, it's HR um, processes, it's email responses for customer service. It's every single thing that you do on a regular basis you know, if you have a, if you're a business owner and you can write all that down, then you can start creating, you know, different documents that will explain how this process in the company is supposed to take place. And eventually, once you get up to, you know, a point where you've got, you know, thousands of locations or, you know, you're huge, well, then you start creating, um, you, know, you can create, you can do this before, but you can start creating videos, instructional videos. Um, you know, pictures, you really make this manual um, into something that, that is, looks really nice and is, is simple and easy to, to read. And um, I, I see a lot of business owners fail at creating these systems um, because, you know, they want to be there all the time. And I used to be the same way. I used to make cookies at the store all day long. I would clean dishes. I would, you know, mop floors. I would do the work of the, of the employees, um, that I was paying an hourly rate, um, rate. 
when instead I probably should have spent a, more of my time on working on the business and, and creating those systems so I could, you know, leave the, leave the store and still trust my staff to run it the same way as, as if I were there. And was there a turning point in your career where you realized I do need to not be as hands-on and need to focus on the systems? And where was that point? Yeah, it, it really came when I met an individual in Columbia, Missouri, um, who owned about 50 plus subways, a bunch of five guys, um, you know, he was a franchise E of, of large corporations. And he really drilled this message into me of how important systems were. And that was the reason why Subway was able to expand to thousands of locations all around the world. And he came to my store one day and gave me a two hour consultation for free. You know, he almost invested in the, in the company, but you know, it didn't work out. But ever since then, that was, you know, a complete, you know, paradigm shift of my way of thinking. Um, and it really became a core focus of all the businesses I'm involved with. And uh, some uh, the advice that I really, really try to give to every entrepreneur that I, I speak with of, um, of creating those systems. And, and there's no blueprint of exactly how to do it. It's, it's whatever is, you know, authentic and, ad, and you know, means something for the company. And, um, yeah. So. Um, I want to transition a little bit while staying on, entrepreneurship as a whole, you've consistently mentioned working with a team. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that team has changed many times over, but can you speak to the importance of a team and maybe with field state specifically, how you connected with your current team members to end up creating this uh, company? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, of, of all the business concepts that I've, you know, learned about or, um, you know, experienced, the, the team is number one for me. Um, I, I was really influenced by a book by uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And in, in there, a quote, he says, first, get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus and the right people in the right seats. And then they figure out where to drive it. And, um, you know, it really, you know, his philosophy was great businesses don't necessarily start with the exact plan, but instead they build their team first and put people in the right positions. Um, and, and, and so that's, you know, I never knew I was doing that um, at, at Hotbox. It kind of took me until after I exited the business to really understand that concept. Um, but yeah, if, if you can build a, a great team around you that complements your your weaknesses and, and, and allows you to focus on your strengths. Um, that really is the key to, to building a successful businesses. There's, there's so many entrepreneurs that I see that try to go at this by themselves and, um, you know, end up getting burnt out or, or, you know, not getting it off the ground even. So that would be the biggest piece of advice for any entrepreneur out there is, is really first build your team. And, and what I mean by team is, is really, anyone that's willing to give you um, a conversation, have a conversation with you on a, on a regular basis, even if it's a couple times a year, you know, pe just people in your life, your friends, your family um, that you can go to. And, and eventually, you know, maybe one of them wants to become a full-time employee or a part-time or advisor to the company. But, 
you know, my ability to, to network and, and build a team around me over the past 10 years is the number one, um, factor to where I've gotten today. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, um, where do you think you sit on the, the bus? Where do you place yourself? Where would, what would be your strengths and weaknesses in terms of creating a, a business? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd say I've, I've been, you know, that, that CEO type role. Um, I, I don't know if I, I want to be the, the number one leader or the number two and just help people out or, you know, down the list. It, it, to me, that the title of the com- of being a, a company doesn't really matter. Um, my, my biggest strengths are helping others and kind of galvanizing a team uh, to, to, to do something or follow you. Um, and so my biggest weaknesses um, are, you know, seeing the potential downsides and, you know, finishing tasks. And so the part, business partners I have, you know, surrounded myself with have always been really good at that. Um, you know, for example, I, I really enjoy working in the operations, marketing, team building, you know, creating systems that side. But I don't necessarily like um, or enjoy doing the accounting, legal, finance, back of house type stuff. And while I have experience doing it because I was forced to years ago, um, it's not something that brings me joy. So I've always tried to find business partners and people around me to help in those areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how have you found those people? I mean, if we're, if we kind of shift to networking, um, how have you found those people that are kind of the, who love that accounting stuff and love that legal stuff? There's no right answer. I, you know, I, I, I've just made a lot of friends with, with as many people as I could while, when I, when I was in high school in St. Louis and then going to Mizzou and, I think just being a nice person to everyone you meet has um, allowed me to become friends with a lot of people and a lot of different, a lot of random circles. And, um, you know, while I would say I'm more introverted, I do really enjoy going to different type of networking business events. So I've been able to, to meet people through, through um, those type of um, settings. Um, nowadays it's been a lot of LinkedIn and and other social media platforms, but mainly LinkedIn for me. Um, and I think just kind of combining all of that and just doing it over a long period of time, you start, you know, planting seeds with multiple people around you. And if you take the approach to how can I help the other person, um, you just never know what might come to you in the future. And, you know, I, so I, for me, karma has been, it's been real. And so I've just checked the mindset to try to help as many people I've interacted with over, um, my business career. And it's allowed me to, you know, find other business partners and, and, and find people to join the team. Yeah. Um, still staying on networking. Do you kind of, do you agree or disagree with this sentiment of if you're doing something interesting, people will find you and interesting can be defined however you want. But do you think if you had started, um, feel states, all their social media and you were kind of 
shouting out, I'm doing this very unique thing in the cannabis industry. Do you think people would have found you or would that not have worked? I think, you know, if you own, you know, it's one, it's important to, to tell your story and, and really document what you are doing as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Um, but if you only talk about yourself, I, I don't think it comes up, it, it will come off as, you know, selfish and, and, and only, and at, when the strategy we, we really took at, at field state over the past year, um, and what I see a lot of successful brands do online is try to add value, um, to the, your, your follower. And, and really that's through the education or entertainment, um, you know, a lot of what I have know about marketing is from following, um, you know, entrepreneurs online, such as, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk or, you know, Neil Patel or other, you know, social media influencers who have really figured out this content model. Um, but I think, you know, if you can start by creating content, either through podcast, blog post, video, um, pictures on as many platforms as you can. That's really the way I would go. But, um, you know, there, there's other strategies as, as well, but that's the one where it's, it's free. You know, all these social media platforms are, are completely free. And uh, I think if you create content online, it comes full circle that it helps you with networking. You know, you don't have to send a hundred messages a day to random people you start creating content, people will come to you mm -hmm. and uh, you start making connections that way. Yeah. And I think um, hearing you speak about how important, you know, being on every platform, posting consistently, I completely hear that message. I think one area I'm ambivalent and you, maybe you can kind of um, like kind of help me out just thinking about it. I feel like if I were to, let's say, use Instagram for an example, uh, post every day about, um, let's just say self-help, because that is an interest I have, but that's not something I focus on immensely. But if I made an Instagram account all about self-help and I branded it, I had a unique name, and every post was like, come on, today is going to be your day. And just very simple, um, generic things. And I think I see this in a lot of places. I would almost feel maybe guilty isn't the right word, but just like, I know I could be doing better than just this basic message that is adding value objectively. If I'm giving a positive note, but it's been heard before, it's the same message on repeat. Do you think that I kind of need to turn down that voice and just do it anyway? Does an audience appreciate that? I think that, yes, I would create content regardless of what um, you think the audience would appreciate or not, and then just ask them. You know, I think the biggest thing people, you know, brands forget to do is ask for feedback from your followers. Hey, do you like this content? You know, would you be willing to have a, you know, 20 minute conversation with me just to, you know, tell me what you did and did not like about these pictures and videos. And then, you know, what can I create more content about? And if you start asking those questions, um, I, I think you'll figure out what your followers want to, 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 to hear about and listen. And, but it's also gonna be something that you love to talk about. Um, but what I wouldn't worry about too much is what the, the if, if the content's going to work, because it's more important just to post 
as much as you possibly can to get the data as and, and, and feedback as to which types of posts work. So if you had a hundred posts out there of self-help type videos on Instagram, well then we could look at all hundred of those and figure out the top 10, which ones resonated the best and then focus on the next hundred posts to be more like those top 10. And so a lot of people don't necessarily have the patience to post 100, 200, 300 times without really receiving much of a return on investment. But if you do that, you know, you gain some really valuable experience and skill. And, um, and people get some people, your, your super followers and super fans will, you know, follow you along for the whole journey. But the real key is to make sure you're adding value. So that'd be the, the question uh, that I would ask the followers is, did this post add value? And usually videos perform the best that are educational and entertaining if you could pull that off. But that's that's a challenge. Yeah. And I think staying on that same vein of, you know, using social media, but kind of being ambivalent about it for different ways. Do you need to have a clear grasp of your audience as you're so let's say stay on the self-help thing if i'm making self-help do i need to have a clear grasp of the audience i'm trying to reach say um like young uh college or college students um who are creatives um do i need to be specific about that or should i be open to if this other demographic is really attracted to my content i i can kind of be flexible and move to them how important is it to define it before I begin the audience I'm striving for? Sure. And there's no right answer here. I mean, you could, you could go either way. Um, but what I would say is, um, you know, not whatever you do decide, I would make the decision and move on. Um, if, if you're going to go for only one specific market and really focus on, you know, building that, um, or you want to target everyone, it, it really doesn't matter. But the more you're thinking about it and the more that, you know, you wonder if, if, if I should be, you know, changing my message that prevents you from spending, you know, more time on just creating content and, and just seeing what, what, which one, which one um, becomes viral, because I think the quantity will lead um, to more quality and, um, and, and, and you just need that feedback. Like I, like I said earlier, but, um, I, I wouldn't worry too much about exactly. I think, you know, your message of just, you know, the blogs and podcasts that I've list, listened to and read, you know, really can connect with a wide variety of people, you know. And so if you pigeonhole yourself and only focusing on, you know, one demographic, you know, could be an opportunity left on the table. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to continue speaking on myself for a little bit, writing I really have loved writing blogs, but I also feel like those are the things that get seen the least. And I just wonder, so let's say I, I was leaving myself open, but let's say I kind of wanted to reach a certain demographic, but you know, I, at this moment, don't really read blog posts. My, how I define myself is not an audience who would normally read blog posts. If I'm trying to reach my, the people I relate to with blog posts, am I going about it the wrong way? Should I try to adapt and move all the messages to video? I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but how would you think about it? 
it's really tough because, you know, you want to spend your time on the way you communicate best to the world. And that seems to be writing for you. But, you know, I also think you're pretty good at video and, and podcasts. So, uh, you know, in 2021, blogs are not performing as, as well as, as, as videos and, and, and podcasts. And it, that wasn't the case, you know, um, in the past. But, you know, if you want to build a brand online in 2021, then, yeah, you kind of have to be on all three areas. And, um, you know, so there's, there's a couple options. One, you know, you can build a team around you and find other people to kind of join in this, this brand with you. And maybe someone becomes a, you know, minority business partner and, and really can be the face while you kind of draft, write everything on behind the scenes. Um, the other option is, is, is kind of, you know, you, you also would still need potentially a team around you, but you create a podcast and you film that podcast that goes on YouTube and then you transcribe the podcast and that becomes the blog. Um, but, and then from there, you can also create a bunch of other smaller 15 second, one minute, five minute videos, pictures, memes from this, this one video. And, um, it, it, it's really tough to do it all. And, and that's why, you know, my number one, you know, part of any sort of brand or business is to build that team around you first, because if you're a solopreneur, it's hard, it's nearly impossible to find the time to run your business and create content on all the platforms on social media and blog podcast um, video, unless you've got people to edit videos, to help create content, to do interviews, to, you know, make the post to respond. There's just a lot that oh, goes yeah. into any business. And speaking to what you said uh, it, it, from the Jim Collins book about kind of where do you sit on the bus, I, I think for myself, my strength and preference would be, you know, writing the ideas, speaking on the podcast, interviewing. I, I can do that without kind of losing energy. And I think the systems are really where I lose um where I get drained in terms of setting up the website rather than just writing the blog post, um, creating a, a MailChimp campaign. That was the biggest headache for me. And I just wanted to automate it so that I could do it once and never think about it again. But at the same time, I'm losing the opportunity to try to reach people who haven't heard of my work. And I'm kind of stuck in this, you know, 10 people subscribe to the, the, the mailing list and, I don't have the energy because I'm focused on content to try to get more of an audience. And I think, as you said before, team is the important word, is the important thing when you're um, trying to create a brand. And I think that that has to be my next step. And I just, I don't know how to go about building a team. And I think you mentioned using LinkedIn to really network and do those things, but and, and also just having those people from high school and college. But I think, well, I guess I'm sort of thinking out loud here, but if I were to find a team for myself and I, you know, if I kind of know my areas of strength, I know my weaknesses, would you recommend just going on LinkedIn or, you know, Instagram and finding a, a social media optimizer and just being like, Hey, I want to work with you. Yeah. So I mean, the, the, for the first, the first step is what you just described. And that is 
having the self-awareness of what your strengths and weaknesses are. What gives you energy? What kind of tasks can you do every all hours of the day? And you write all those stuff down, and then you write out the stuff that, like the MailChimp, like the website, um, that kind of drains your energy. And, and so once you figure out that, um, then I you know, tell a lot of entrepreneurs, well, just write out the, the ideal dream team. I don't care if they, you know, own our, you know, own another company and they have next to no chance ever coming to work for you, but at least write out, you know, 10, 20, you know, 30 people that you think of that would be awesome on your team. Um, and from there, you know, once you've kind of identified the areas that you're looking for, um, it's, it's messaging everyone that, that you can, um, in your phone and your phone contact list, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn friends, um, and ask all of them, here's what I'm doing. I'm building a brand that is, you know, is, is, is going to revolutionize, you know, whatever industry that you're in. And I'm looking for people that want to join in. And, um, you know, do you, would you be interested in, or would you know anyone else in your circle um, would be interested? So you've got their circle if, if they're a good enough friend. And then, and then also ask them, you know, at least me, I, I always try to ask people, well, how can I add value or help you in your life? And so if you don't just go to the approach where you're just asking for something, a favor, and you're not giving anything in return, people are going to be a lot less inclined to help you out. And so, yeah, I mean, and then it just takes a lot of time. You know, you just, you can, you want to set up as many meetings, conversations, email, texts, as you can, um, but there's just a lot of people to talk to. And but I think the first step, which most people forget to do, is is that self awareness piece and figuring out who you're even looking for. Yeah, I really love that. And then I so once that that has been established and kind of the team has been built, I think if we're using my myself and Purple Elephant as a case study, I think the the other big word besides building a team is monetization. And I think the the brands that you've built have all been centered around retail. And it's like, okay, obviously people are buying cookies. We sell them for a little bit more than it costs to make them. That's the profit. I think for something like what I'm doing, that's as of right now, purely media. Um, would you say for monetization? I mean, the obvious, the thing that comes to mind is, okay, advertisements and sponsorships in whatever form that comes in. But do you think for something like a, a media brand that there's another option where potentially selling something that isn't from another uh, another brand, it's the purple elephant, blah, blah, blah. I mean, right now I'm wearing a hat, but obviously I think um, I I started trying to push clothing way too early where, you know, only a couple of people had heard of the, what I'm trying to do. Right. No, it's a fantastic question. I think a lot of businesses struggle with what to do here. And the longer you can go without trying to monetize your audience, the better. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to be building a team around you, paying for expenses, you know, related to your business, well, you have to bring in some dollars. And so, yeah, you can sell stuff on your website, um, but you know, I would try not to push it very hard. Um, I would 
probably try to figure out, well, how much money do I need to be making on a monthly basis to cover my overhead and pay for, you know, any sort of talent I want to bring on the, bring to the team. Um, and there's other ways to bring on team members besides just, um, you know, paying them through, you know, or doing, you know, trading services. But if you can, um, you know, kind of figure out how much money you need to make, well, then there might be other ways, like such as selling your time, you know, you know, people that, that, that you have built a website with podcasts, with blog posts, videos, that skill set, in my opinion, is incredibly valuable, that there's probably tons of other, you know, companies out there that would love to utilize your skill set. So, so maybe it's, you know, working the majority of time on your business, but then somehow supplementing a, a, a secondary source that's related to this that will help you cover expenses to hire another, that first employee. And, and, and um, so that's one way, but, you know, there's advertisements will work if, you know, but I just think the longer you can go without trying to sell anything or have any advertisements, the better. But at some point, everyone does need to make money if you're going to stay in business. So it, yeah. it's a balance. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the nice thing is right now my costs are simply paying for the website and that's it. And that's the beauty of it. Um, and I think that's probably one of the other reasons I'm not as incentivized to find a team. It's because I'm not in this desperate mode to make money, but the stagnation is also keeping me in this. I don't need to grow. I'm just making the content I'm making and not focused on audience growth. Um, but yeah, I, I'm wondering, have you had any experience with courses, um, online courses, because just from what I've seen, that seems to be the direction education is going um, in, in terms of paid education. And it may be a slow um, kind of slope upwards, but I really do think um, less people, eventually less people are going to be going to the college and more people are going to be able to get certified doing whatever they want to do, taking online courses and just taking courses that maybe don't relate to a job they need, but if you want to take a creative workshop, a podcasting workshop, even if you don't, um, if you aren't trying to make money off of a podcast, do you think that courses, I mean, has that been something you've ever explored? Have you taken an online course and paid for one? So I'm actually an adjunct professor right now at St. Louis university, teaching a online dispensary and oh, wow. okay. course. Um, so I, you know, definitely the, these, I think this is the, the future for being able to do online courses. So, you know, I kind of look at that as more pre is like just premium content for you where you could, you know, give away as much content as you can for free, but then have this additional premium service that, yeah, is an educational course that of, um, you know, how to make your own brand and, and podcast and, uh, and, and the steps you've taken or whatever else, other self-help, you know, um, you know, that would go into it. I, I, I'm not sure, but, um, definitely like the idea. And, and, um, I, I think, you know, your super fans, um, if you offer enough free content, they'll, they'll be willing to pay for stuff as well. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the kind of, I I've seen that model before of the, have a ton of stuff for free and then 
a, a small subset of your audience is paying for extra content and that's able to support the whole. Um, there was a great book I read by, called Free by Chris Anderson. Um, and that was all about kind of how are you going to make money when all of media, digital media wants to be free at some point. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things is having that small subset of content that, that does cost money. Um, okay. But turning back to you, as we're kind of getting near the end of this podcast, um, I, I want to know about your kind of world outside of business and kind of how, how you live your life. I mean, are you a Elon Musk a hundred hours a week, uh, five hours of sleep, or kind of how do you go about your day when you're not working? Sure. So I, I did used to be like that hundred hour week, uh, work a week. Um, but you eventually do burn out. And I have really taken the approach that it's not about the number of hours, um, you put in. And I've, I've the past couple of years, I've, um, not been you know operating a business i haven't been managing employees so i've had a lot of time to to really work on myself um learn a lot from podcasts and books and um you know other entrepreneurs and i have um you know so i i love health and wellness that that's that's been a big um part of my life um and you know focusing on Exercise, yoga, meditation, um, eating right. Um, I, I love sports. I love, um, you know, I, I love hanging out with friends. Um, you know, I just, I just really enjoy learning about new topics and meeting new people. Um, I've, I've been, ex, you know, experiencing nature and uh, a lot over the past year. And, um, you know, but my ultimate passion in life is just to help entrepreneurs and friends and people. And, um, so, so that's, you know, what I spend a lot of my time with as well is just consulting other entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's more of a, a passion more than anything for you on that end of it. Yeah. I'm also in a organization as a mentor called score, which is a free, um, national organization, all unpaid volunteers that, um, help other entrepreneurs. And, I just remember back in 2008, I was a client of a SCORE mentor in Columbia, Missouri. And so now I get to help um, entrepreneurs that get emailed to me, you know, multiple times a month. And, uh, and just meeting the entrepreneur, entrepreneur community in St. Louis has, has been a lot very enjoyable and just seeing everyone else's story and, you know, just trying to be part of the ecosystem of everyone helping each other out. And, um, you know, I don't really view competitors out there. It's just world's abundant. Right. And something you said, uh, it just tr triggered a thought. I was going to ask about this earlier, but from a more kind of trend perspective of looking at the, the world as a whole, do you think that when it comes to education versus entertainment, uh, let's say main, I'm thinking YouTube mainly, but just media in general is transitioning to be more educational people are clicking on the educational um how to make a business instead of the uh movie that's entertaining for an hour and a half do you think just american i guess americans um are transitioning to that desire for 
education that isn't taught in the 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 core school curriculum? I think so. Um, you know, yeah. There's there's so many smart people out there that you can learn from if you just have a phone and and or internet access. And for me, that's just where I've learned so much about life and in business from articles, from podcasts, from following certain entrepreneurs on social media accounts and, and significantly less than I did in school. Um, you know, I'd still say experience trumps both of them, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you want to build a brand and you can become an expert at, you know, your specific niche and really start communicating to the world, um, and helping people out, even if they're competitors of yours and, um, you know, that's the kind of the approach I would take is, is really to provide add value through that education. And if you can make it entertaining as well, that's just a, that's just a bonus. Um, but you know, it depends on your personality. Not everyone, not everyone is a flashy person on camera and can crack funny jokes all, all day. But if you're an expert on, on something and most people are, are truly passionate and can become an expert, um, on one area in life, then, um, I'd really recommend just talking about it and, and trying to inform the world about how you learned it all and yeah. where to go be some more resources. And I think to set people at, at ease, um, when you say like something, you know, a lot about and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't have to be the thing that you and no, none other, the 7 billion people know about other people can have been experts. You can be an expert in, a certain area of marketing, even though Gary V is already insanely huge. Would you agree with that? You're exactly right. You don't have to, you don't have to come up with, you know, this brilliant plan right away. It will evolve. And your, if you're authentic and you know, your unique personality will be the differentiator in that niche of whatever marketing or self-help area you, you go after. Yeah. Um, Okay, so as we wrap up this um, episode, and just for the the people listening who have listened to the other podcasts, I'm changing the the end question from last season, and this season's end question is going to be, Corey, what are you intensely curious about at this current moment in your life? That is really very interesting. Um, I'll give you one. I, I have past past year, I've become incredibly interested in plant medicine and psychedelics. And it's something that I am trying to learn as much as I possibly can about and experience those altered state of minds, um, not only through psychedelics, but, um, you know, breath work and, and other, other, um, you know, self-help type, you know, um, areas so that's so fascinating all right Corey. um on that note we will wrap up the podcast i'll be sure to link any um any of your social media links to related to field state um when did you say the dispensaries the medical dispensaries are going to be opened in st louis and uh florissant should be open by the end of april and then in downtown kansas city sometime middle of may but um tentative dates right now yeah so if you are in those areas and have your medical card definitely stop by 
uh, Corey, thank you so much for being the the first guest of season three and just sharing so much great wisdom, especially helped me specifically. Um, and I hope that the the audience listening will take a lot from it too. Thanks a lot, Sean. It's been awesome. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.